Michael Shady Felt on the Seeky Excellence Podcast, the second ever Benedictine student to be here. Yes, sir. How's it going, homie? <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. Yeah, Grayson Dahl. He is he is an alpha. He's a stud. Um, he's going to be doing some incredible things for our faith. And yeah, especially coming from Benedict and what a, what a incredible experience to, to be able to know him and, and be able to go out on the great commissioning with him. So absolutely. Yeah. He's a rock star, man. If you haven't listened to that episode, anyone out there, I highly encourage you to go back. I don't, I wish I had looked up the number that it is before this, but the episode of Grace is always just awesome. Uh, released at the beginning of the summer, um, or actually, I think it was the beginning of July. But yeah, great dude, great dude, and just awesome. So, but it's great to have you with me today, man. I'm excited to get to our conversation and just spend some time together. But first, I'd love to have you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, growing up, whatever you feel like we need to know to kind of set the stage of who is the now now famous, from my understanding, um, <laughs> Michael Shady. No, 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 no. I. Uh... So I'm from Southern California, just about an hour north of LA. Um, it's a small town called Santa Paula. Um, and yeah, beautiful place filled with orchards and, you know, 15 minutes away from the beach. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, incredible communities out there, um, especially with the Catholic faith. And that was something that was, was really big for me. Um, I had never heard of this out here, but our community would support each other in ways that I had never seen. So if someone was going through some sort of surgery, if someone was having a baby, um, any sort of big event within that family, uh, all the other families would provide meals for them for months, um, wow. dinners. And so I grew up with, you know, my mom making the dinner for, you know, Betsy Sue down the street who just had her 10th Catholic child. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we were able to provide um, that dinner for them and just seeing that Google Doc of just names, families upon families that were making dinner for them on a daily basis. Wow. That was just an incredible experience. And, and uh, yeah, really brought a good understanding of that Benedictine hospitality, the seeing Christ as the person next to you as your neighbor, as the parishioner that you are sitting with every single Sunday. So that was just an incredible experience growing up and um, growing up in a, I'm number six of seven. So there's a, a good amount of us uh, on the younger end. So I got, you know, the psychological and the, <laughs> and the physical torment growing up, <laughs> which was great. Um, that is good for you very good for you um but the the understanding of growing up in a in a big catholic family um was that it was uh monumental in my faith life in um in every every single little way that you could think of um growing up in little personality aspects and mannerisms and um, just watching my siblings grow up, it's been such a blessing because I'm able to see um, not only where they've done some incredible acts, but also where they've gone wrong too. And so I've been able to incorporate that within my life. Um, but I went to a uh, small high school, graduated with 18 in my class um, called St. Augustine wow. Academy. And we didn't have any sports. 
Um, but I ended up choosing the school because of its incredible curriculum. It was a, it's a liberal arts Catholic high school. And so, you know, reading the Iliad and the Odyssey and um, really getting some solid writing and, and uh, having mass every Tuesday. And that was, that was great um, to be a part of, but, you know, having sports was a little difficult too, as, as you can imagine, you know? Sure. Yeah. So um, I ended up, you know, playing some club basketball for, for four years and, and got that discipline in and then two years of, of, uh, of adult rugby um, for our local um, uh, city, city league. Um, and I thought, you know, that was, that was just fundamental for me, which was sports. And I know that comes up on your podcast pretty often, um, which is the, you know, the virtue that is instilled in it, the transcendentals that are instilled within sports, the truth, the goodness, and the beauty, and how important that is um, yeah, to recognize how, you know, the authority and the discipline and all of that within sports. And so I was just blessed to, to do that as well. So, yeah, the teamwork, the risk. I mean, there's so much goodness that comes from that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a blessing for sure. Um, but you know, it, it definitely had, had its hard times in high school as well. Um, as I didn't know why I was believing the faith, but I knew I needed to step toward it. Mm. And so there was this confusion on, should I jump toward it? Um, and then this temptation of pulling back. So every single time that I would, I would make a step forward, I was almost like I was taking two steps back because of, um, you know, growing up in, in that, uh, another side culture within, within that, uh, beautiful community that we had in, in Santa Paula and, um, really getting immersed in, in, you know, the party, party aspect of, you know, going up and having a specific spot where all the boys would, would go and drink and, and all that stuff. And, um, that was the pullback that was getting me away from that relationship that I needed with Christ. Um, and so it's about senior year, junior, senior year, um, things started clicking a little bit, but there was no sense of push to see Christ and to encounter him with all that I had. And so, there was this tension of um, should I jump or not? Should I jump off the cliff or not? And then I, I held back again. So I kept holding back and getting myself in more trouble, um, causing more issues for myself, depression, anxiety, all this stuff just skyrocketed. Um, and as a teenager, that's a very confusing time. Um, and so sure. it caused a lot of, stress and, and, and turmoil within my soul. Um, and that, that, you know, it stayed consistent. That same Michael stayed consistent all throughout the end of high school into freshman year of college. And that was a trip. And uh, there's been a lot of healing from all of that, which has been such a grace. But there was one pivotal moment freshman year of being at Benedictine where he reached out to me and it was almost like, uh, he's like, Mike, I'm done. <laughs> like, 
like bro i love you <laughs> like open <laughs> open your dang heart like stop being a I'm, clown yeah yeah exactly so that what, what was it that got you to benedictine though in the first place so i'm number number four of my family of going to benedictine so my mm. sister kathleen found it and was attracted to the community the faith and the scholarship um and the the benedictine roots and the catholic faith and the liberal arts and the residential life all of those four pillars just like pounding down into in turn made her who she is and she is she's a saint she's incredible and so i witnessed that then my brother joe followed after my brother john and then myself so i was able to really uh see how they changed um in their spiritual life and i knew exactly you know at that same time that i needed to pursue that same thing um but yeah that's kind of kind of how i ended up there that's awesome yeah and so th then you decide what once you're there you have this moment where jesus is like yo stop being a fool <laughs> so what was the transformation like how did it how did it kind of go down yeah so it was yeah, I was, I was an absolute fool for, um, for the longest time um, up until uh, Seek 2019 mm. in Indianapolis. And it's really beautiful because since then, I have encountered a lot of people who have had a lot of miraculous encounters with the Lord on that same day. Um, I've met at least two, two or three other people who have um, had life changing experiences or, um, some sort of, you know, St. Paul moment. Um, and, uh, that was, that was really inspiring to me. Cause then I realized that, um, the Lord was really working that day. Mm -hmm. Um, so got to that moment and I was in a relationship and, um, I knew I wanted something more. I knew I wanted to be closer to Christ, um, but I didn't know how to get there. And so throughout the whole seek um, focus, uh, you know, Indianapolis 2019, I kept experiencing hearing his word, even though my heart was, was closed. I opened up a little bit and said a little prayer and said, Lord, like, I need you to guide me. And then he kind of just like swooped in just as gentle as could be and was so patient. And he said, you know, you open yourself up to holiness and continued with that. And that was like the whole message that week. And then it was the last night and sister Miriam Heidland of the, the salt, um, you know, sisters, they, uh, she gave a talk on the face of Christ. Um, and that was sort of the reality for me. It was mm. Christ had a face. Christ walked. Christ had hands. He had eyes. He spoke. He spat in the ground and brought, you know, clay up and healed people's eyes. And that was a big, that was a big draw in. And then there was a single moment when everything dropped and a new kid. And I felt his presence. And it was just this jab of peace and zeal in my heart and i lean forward mouth open just saying my lord and my god like my god and my all like you are it and 
that was that was the big bomb drop and that took like a couple months for me to figure out that this call to holiness was um was something that was real and it was something that i wanted and it was something that i needed to pursue so you know a couple months go by and i i'm like praying with this and there was just this beautiful openness to the priesthood and felt as though there was this specific calling to that and so i I followed it and um, yeah, that was kind of the big turning moment um, for me. Dang. And then what was that discernment like? So like, what did, what were your first steps kind of once you started discerning the priesthood? I started looking, I went online, you know, sort of, you know, when you get injured, you, you look up WebMD. I, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, I gotta hit the Google, gotta start searching. I had to Google. And so, I was like, man, what are my talents? Um, I, I just, yeah. I was like, what do I desire? Um, and I was just super confused. I didn't know what I desired. I didn't know really any of that sort of ordeal in my spiritual life, in the interior life. So I just started looking up random orders. I looked up the Dominicans and the Franciscans and... Um, those specifically were the two that kind of popped out to me. And then I ran across the Franciscan Friars of Renewal and something kind of clicked. And, uh, and so I reached out to them and they are very impoverished. They're, I was going to say, tell people, a lot of people don't know about that. I only know a little bit. So tell us a little bit about what right, your lifestyle yeah. is like. So, Pretty extreme. So the, yeah, like yeah. Navy very, SEALs very, of, of the priesthood. <laughs> exactly, just absolute alphas. They they know what's going on. For real. Um, so the Franciscan Friars of the Rule started in the eighties um, by a priest, um, Father Benedict Grishel, um, and a couple other friars as well. Um, it's a it's a sort of a start off off of the Capuchins, um, the same order as. Uh, you know, St. Padre Pio. So there was this, this organization that, that started this, this movement, um, and then finally an order as it was accepted by the Vatican in New York City. And so they started in, um, they started in Harlem and the Bronx, uh, and then kind of just blew up from there. And uh, very, very humble, outgoing brothers that, you know, they're funny. They're outgoing. Um, they know how to talk. <laughs> they know how to get you, you know, going. And um, they uh, they were very, very attractive because of that. And then their main charism was toward the poor. So reaching out to um, all of the homeless within uh, any general area of their friary. Um, and, uh, you know, going from apartments where there's a Bible study. One of them is, is ministering to a guy who lives in this tiny apartment, um, one bedroom, no kitchen apartment and doing a Bible study to another friar telling us to make sure we have our shoes on because we don't want to step in needles uh, crossing the bridge to carrying a massive image of Our Lady of Guadalupe around uh, the Hispanic culture and community um, talking about Our Lady Guadalupe and ministering that way and going to 
hospitals where none of their family members are visiting them. Just the, the most impoverished life can get within those situations. Right. Um, so I was able to encounter that and that was just super attractive to me. Yeah. That had to be wild, man. <laughs> that had to be a wild, wild experience. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I think it's so cool, you know, that, that you had that openness, especially so soon, you know, I think after you kind of had the conversion and that powerful experience, it's really, it's really great. I think, you know, for me, it was, I always have so much respect for people who had that kind of radical shift in their life. And obviously, you know, I think we all continue to sit and struggle and things like that, but um, some definitely have more of a, a radical change. I know Emily talks about that with her struggles and stuff like she had a pretty like overnight healing and a, and a lot of her struggles and wounds and things like that. Um, and mine was so slow. I was like, so slow. <laughs> bro, it took me so damn long. I feel like oh, from dude. 15 to 25, I was just like constantly three steps forward, two steps back, you know, and, <laughs> and obviously we all take it that way, but um, it is Look just really cool. Now. I could tell you that three months after what I considered my like conversion to college, I was not Googling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like the fires of renewal, bro. Like it was not oh, in the cards. You know what I'm saying? Like I was not there uh for that. So yeah, I think it's beautiful to see that openness, man. But Seek is such a powerful thing. You know, I had a beautiful time. I talk about my Seek experience, Seek 2015, uh, because yeah. I'm an old head, you know. So uh <laughs> some of us old heads went to Nashville in 2015. Oh yeah, let's go. Yeah, it was a great experience, man. I just had a beautiful time. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for them to hopefully be able to do it in person this year because it is such a beautiful thing in the church. But I love what you talk about with having that kind of heart trans- uh, transformation and conversion and, and kind of the pooling of your heart before you had that kind of intellectual understanding, you know, because part of my big thing with Seek in 2015, I think you'll find this interesting, is that that whole year, bro, my senior year of college, I was really struggling with uh, the true presence of the Eucharist. And it was crazy mm-hmm. because by that point, I'm like four years into like my serious conversion. Like I'm in the chapel every day, praying holy hours most days, uh, going to mass like four or five times a week, um, leading Bible study, leading all these different things, right? Uh, wow. Going on mission trips, right? Doing a whole bunch of stuff and was kind of just like a leader in the faith on campus. But it wasn't that if you would ask me if I believe in the true presence, my answer would have been yes. But I really just had the conviction of my head. I didn't have the conviction of my heart, you know. And so it's so interesting how those two things can be so separate. Um, And sometimes we have to lead with one or the other. Right. So, like, there was times in my life when I followed my heart to Mount St. Mary's. I didn't have, like, an intellectual plan as to why I would be going there or, like, how I would figure it out. You know what I mean? Or, like, how God was going to change my life or transform me or what role that was going to play in my life right so you follow your heart at times but then there's also times where you kind of did give the benefit of the doubt in your mind to the church to god right and i think that's what a lot of people don't realize is it's so easy if you only have one or the other to blame the missing one for why you're not acting right for why you're not moving closer to god why you're not doing the right thing and it's funny because i i mean you and i both we talked to a lot of people about where they're at in their relationship with God. And, and I'm thinking of a conversation I had recently with a friend of mine and she's just really struggling, really kind of like on the brink of like joining the Catholic church, but not really sure. But there's kind of like these head check marks, right? Like everything in the intellectual side, that's like, it, it's, it's limitless, right? Like all of us, we right. all struggle with things, you know, Emily and I were just walking on a hike 
this past weekend and we were talking about the church and we were talking about the abuse scandal. And I was just like really opening up to her about some of my struggles with um, even certain saints and, and leaders of the church today. And, you know, like, how do you, how do we make sense of this? And, and just like some of the difficulty that I have with making sense of some of the things that have happened in our church over the last 30 to 60 years. And um, it's, it's really interesting. It is. Yeah. It's a ton. Right. And so, but you kind of realize like, whether it's your heart or your head, like it's, it's never perfect. That's like, that's the point of earth, right? Like That's the point of the fall is that we're yes. never fully convinced. You're never lacking fear. You're never lacking discomfort. And there's this lie that the devil has so successfully promoted that like at some point in your life, living your vocation will be easy or living a Christ, you know, following Christ will be easy or being holy will be easy. It, it's always worth it. It's always joyful. It's always fulfilling. It always gives us more peace than the opposite, right? It's always more joyful than the opposite it's always better than the opposite in, in living life without God. But there's just this lie, bro, that, you know, you're going to be fully convinced. You're going to have full, you know, confidence in everything that you decide as you, you strive to follow God. And when you watch things like the chosen, I don't know if you watch the chosen at all, but when you watch the chosen, bro, like you get to see them be like, what the fudge is going on? You know what I mean? They're like, yeah, what the yeah, hell yeah, are you doing? Yeah. Like, what it's do you so mean real. you left everything? You know what I mean? They're like, are you crazy? You're out of your mind. And it's just like, yeah, that's what it looks like. It's so real. It's so real. And we see that with the saints where we can portray them as that, you know, that holy card where they have the halo over them and they're positioned mm -hmm. perfectly. And, um, you know, in, in movies as well, you see St. Francis as, you know, a European model. Um, right. And it's like, that's not right. Like, he looks like you in the movies. No, bro. Don't, <laughs> don't you even get me started. Don't you even. Um, <laughs> and that that's portrayal is just it's it's so false and that's why i believe that the chosen is, is such an incredible series is that it brings out the realness it brings out that holy face it brings out the the yes. reality that christ is um and from that you know being being incarnate um us you know having bodies and uh, and be able to keep in touch with spirituality. That's so hard. It takes so much time, so much patience, and especially within discernment. Yeah, I, I love I love that you brought up the saints because I've ranted about that many a times in my life, and I don't remember the last time I talked about it on the podcast. But I just I think you know I, I've often said that we we have this mentality amongst a lot of different areas in life where we look at somebody, I, I always, you know, you hear this, it's kind of funny, like, so the Olympics is a great example, right? Like you see, now we kind of are more honest about it. And you saw a lot of memes this year, um, where it's like, you know, my fat ass sitting there with a bag of chips and a beer open saying, this guy sucks. Like this world class athlete <laughs> who doesn't stick his landing perfectly, you know? And it's like, this dude sucks. And it's like, what? You could never do that, right? Exactly. But it's so funny. I used to complain because people like LeBron or like, even just friends of mine when I was in high school and college or were athletes. And it's like, Oh, if I was that tall, I'd be a D one basketball player too. And it's like, you don't know, no, you wouldn't. I remember talking about this on the nine 11 podcast. Last year. <laughs> that was the last time I talked about it. I was like, no, your fat ass wouldn't be LeBron James. If you were six, eight, you know, and had his athletic, you'd be lazy. Still you're lazy now. Like if you're not exactly. making the most of what you're doing, what you have now, there's no reason for you to rightly assume that if you had somebody else's situation, you do the right thing then. You know, and you, you'd be exactly. choosing to seek excellence and be your best and, and strive to fulfill your potential with somebody else's circumstances. So it's so foolish, but we just we we make the saints out to be these impossible figures, these figures who are impossible to emulate so that we don't even have to try. 
because it's easier to just be like, well, I could never be like St. Joseph. I can never be like St. Thomas More. I can never be like, uh, you know, uh, Pierre Giorgio Frassati. I can never be like whatever, you name it, right? Priests do it to St. John Vianney. Priests do it to St. Maximilian Colby. I can never be like right. them. So I don't have to try to be a saint. I don't have to try to be holy. I can just kind of be mediocre and just go to mass on Sunday or not even do that and just say my prayers before I eat or at nighttime, you know what I mean? As I'm falling asleep and it's like, dude, no, like they're not, they try to tell us that as much as they freaking could, right? And the Bible highlights it as much as it can, that these people exactly. are so flawed and effed up that even exactly. you could strive to be like that. They're constantly you know? talking about how they're sinners and that's, it's embedded within the mass itself, you know, like, Lord have mercy. Like, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And then people are like, no, but, but you're a saint. And then it's like, no, I'm a sinner. And like this back and forth sort of system. And then kind of just have to realize that, yeah, like they were sinners and we are seniors. And so therefore it is possible for us to be saints. And what else is there? Like right. you, you have to thrive for that. And um, that mentality of, uh, that lukewarmness of uh, it's, it's not attainable is so tempting, so tempting. And without the presence of God, that's going to continue to be tempting. Absolutely. And the devil wants us to believe that in all of these different areas, right? And so instead of, you know, just accepting that we're different from other people, this is the, the, the uh, problem with comparison, right? Is that, you know, we strive to emulate other people, but you don't compare yourself to them. So a great example that I always use is like, I would watch a lot of YouTube videos of basketball players when I was trying to improve my game, right? When I was trying to shoot better or score better and, and just like learning moves from LeBron or Derrick Rose or Kobe Bryant, um, Dwayne Wade, right? And it's like, I don't compare myself exactly to them because I'm not them, right? I don't have their body. I don't, have, and that's true. But at the same time, I can still learn from what they did, implement that in my own way, in my own game. And that's how we have to look at the saints, right? That's how we have to look at, any of our role models. Like I know as a writer, I'm not going to be as good of a writer as Malcolm Gladwell or Jordan Peterson, right? Definitely not at 28, maybe when I'm like 65, right, I might right. be like 60% at that, at that <laughs> level. But I'm like, I'm not going to be at that now. But that, does that mean I just don't write anymore? You know, I'm not going to be as great of a podcaster as, as Ben Shapiro or, uh, you know, as great of a speaker as Father Mike Schmitz or as great of whatever. You can compare yourself to so many people, but it's like, well, I can listen to them and learn from them take it and apply it to my life. But people get so easily discouraged. It's one of the biggest enemies of, of seeking excellence, I think, is just this discouragement to say, well, I can't, and, and not only just the discouragement of, I can't, uh, you know, be like that person ever, but also this like microwave mentality that we have as a society that says, well, if I can't be a millionaire next year, I'm not going to invest today. If I can't be a saint, you know what I mean, walking on water tomorrow, then I'm not going to spend my 30 minutes in prayer today. If right. I can't be in the best shape of my life in three weeks, then I'm not going to go to the gym tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Instant gratification. It's that, that Amazon mindset. Um, and there has to be patience and the silence, you know, patience and love. Like those are, those are things that are pivotal this day because there's so many distractions you know we could go on a whole nother podcast about distractions and right. talk about negative attitudes about that and um the thing to focus on is that there are hermits um back way back when when they would receive a word for a whole entire year 
go back to their cell and pray with that word for a whole year, be in silence, receive the gifts that they have been given, and then go back to their, uh, their abbot and say, abbot, holy father, give me another word. And we need to go back to that mentality of patience and to listen and um, this, this zeal for that and to be on fire for that. But it takes examples. We have to, we have to pick and choose the incredible qualities that saints of past have, have had and to pray with them and be in relationship with them and seek that purity, seek that strength, that courage from martyrs, from um, all those who have gone before us, we learn from history. And so why not dive deep into those who are now in union with God, being glorified and are within him and his, his heavenly power? Absolutely. It's one of the things that I think is, I, I think a lot of college today is a scam and is, is a waste of a lot of people's money especially when it comes to public colleges, because they literally just make you a worse person um, and you're paying <laughs> them to do it. And so to yes, me, that's one hell of a racket, right? Like it's pretty wild. Um, yes, but I think one of the good things about it for most people is that it does, it's one thing and probably the last thing for a lot of people's lives where they literally work at it for years and then finally get to accomplish it, right? That's why graduation is such a big deal. It's because like you study almost every day, right? Like you're working hard. Think of how much we celebrate people like doctors and lawyers because you have to go to school for so long. I have a friend who just became a dentist and she literally has been in higher education for a decade. Like yeah. I'm 28 years old. We graduated high school the same year. She just started working. Like she just yeah. got a full-time job. I'm like, how did you do that? I'm like, how do you stay in school that long? And doctor, you know, medical doctors, especially when they specialize in things, surgeons, oh my gosh, bro, they do it forever. They go to school yeah. for like 15 years in higher ed. It's unbelievable. And so the yeah. same thing with priests, right? Like you think about priests that go to college and they have seven years of formation. And it's like the sad thing for a lot of people is that we lose that. And it's like kind of what's the next thing? And it's easy to kind of not uh, have like a next adventure, a next like battle to fight, the next kind of thing. But when you understand that what you're trying to do with your life is you're trying to you're trying to build something, right? It's like it's, it's like building a, a massive building or something like that, or like a sculptor, right? Like it takes a long period of time to see the results that you want to see. It's just it part does. of the game. And ultimately you're starting a journey that you know is impossible to win or, or is impossible to, to finish and get, get to where you're actually going to be fully, wholly satisfied on this side of heaven. It's, impo- it's impossible, right? Like it's the Lord impossible. Jesus literally tells us to be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect. And we strive for that. And it's the Amen. biggest one of the another one of the biggest enemies of seeking excellence i think is just quitters right like you just you have a quitting mentality it's like it gets difficult or you're investing money and you lose money or you're working out i remember me i was getting back into shape in uh you know going into december i gained weight over the holidays and i broke i tore my achilles in january and it's like then i got hell out of shape right now i'm in the worst shape of my life coming out of the boot in may and it's like now i do this shit all over again you know what i'm saying and so you're constantly doing this and falling and struggling. And same thing with my spiritual life. I struggled. I, I had a great spiritual life uh, in college and, and finally got up and I was crushing it. Then I went to ranger school, huge setback for, for 12 weeks in ranger school. I remember I got to receive communion once on a Tuesday in a gym. And it was because I like kind of snuck out and wrote a letter to a local parish. And it was a whole thing, but <laughs> it was the only time I got to receive communion, right? Yeah, thanks, bro. And so I come out of that and I'm a hot mess. Then I kind of get my life together again. Then I deploy to Afghanistan. Then I come back. I'm a hot mess again. 
takes me like a year to kind of finally bounce back and get my spiritual life right. And so it's just, it's all these different challenges, right? And it's every time, it's like I said, that three steps forward, two steps back, you strive, you fail. It takes a long time to build. And that's what I feel like, bro, people don't understand and don't want to really commit themselves to. When we look at these Olympic athletes, or when you look at somebody like, uh, well, you see Giannis win a championship this year. Everybody loves it because he's been in the league for like eight years, right? right? He won the MVP years ago. And so he's been, you know, championship caliber. All the haters, all the people saying, you know, he really blew it this year. He, you know, he's a bust, all this stuff. Like, it's awesome to see somebody work eight years. And, and to think that's eight years in the league, seven years in the league, not, not even counting back to he probably started playing basketball when he was five, right? All with the, the end goal of doing this. When you see somebody Don't work for 20 20 years yeah. to accomplish something like it's an amazing, amazing thing, man. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I share. And this reminds me of our conversation in pre-podcast of, you know, this even even like thinking about the ability, like ranting ability, right? <laughs> Rantability, right. if you will. Um, oh. I love I've often told this story of um, Picasso. You might have you might have heard this or whatever. It's in a lot of books. Um, but Picasso was in like some diner in Europe and, uh, or cafe or whatever. And he was like doodling on a napkin, right. For like an hour. And, uh, this lady, he he's like going to throw it away with like his food. And this lady's like, what are you doing? Wait a minute. Like, I want that. Like, can I buy that from you? And he's like, okay, it'll be $50,000. And she's like, dude, that took you like 30 minutes to draw. What do you mean? It'll be 50 grand. And he's like, no, no, no. This took me 50 years to draw. Because he's like, the only reason I could draw this in 30 minutes is because I've been drawing my whole effing life. Like, you don't get it, you know? And that's Trust the process. Yeah, exactly, bro. And so that's what I think a lot of times, like, people will mock me or, or make fun of me for, like, procrastinating. Like, we were talking about homie Grayson for, like, writing a talk yeah. last minute or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I've read hundreds of books in the last five years. You know, the, the amount of time spent in prayer, the amount of time spent listening to podcasts, the amount of time spent in the, you know, the, classroom of silence in the classroom of the weight room and you know terrible physical punishments in, in ranger school and all these different things i'm like this isn't this isn't me just spending 20 minutes on this talk like there's been years on this and you see people who don't do that personal development who don't do the personal growth now there's people who are planners that are awesome and work really hard too i'm not saying that everybody who wants to plan and you know prepare is is not growing themselves but right. I do know a lot of people who don't do those things <laughs> when they have to say something in front of people, don't know what the hell to say and they're nervous or whatever. And they're just like, well, it's I just wish I had your ability to just speak. And it's like, no, you wish you had done all the reading and listening <laughs> and studying exactly. and hard work, right? <laughs> that exactly. That's what and you wish. Yeah, exactly. Just just that temptation of, of going back to, to this lukewarm desire. And um going back to discernment bro like that right there is the issue is right you you talked about it with grayson like you want that saint paul moment to happen and for the lord to reach down and say hey i want you to do this and that's not going to happen you know very very small chance that that the lord is, is going to reach out to you and and say uh not Join the he's not going to write you a letter, you know, and, and see that you, you have to first encounter him. You can't just be wandering in, in the desert, um, you know, mindlessly and sinning and, and not have your, your, your spiritual life up or anything like that and expect the Lord to be able to write you that letter. That letter is going to be written 
as you're talking to him. And you're going to be able right. to hear that and receive that as you encounter Christ. And that is the very first thing you have to do in, in all of uh, discernment. And so that was the big thing for me, which was, I thought that was going to happen. So I spent, you know, a, a good year of expecting the Lord to reach down and say, Hey, Mike, this is where you need to go. Here's the path. Um, I want you to join seminary right now, but he did not So I felt almost lukewarm. I felt as though I was in this limbo experience. Um, and the number one thing I didn't do was encounter him. And that is the very first thing that you have to do is, is be in that, uh, in that relationship and consistency and be disciplined and, you know, offer from the rising of the sun to its setting, offer sacrifices to him throughout the day and, and have that daily practice of prayer um, in the morning and at night. And I, it's, it's pivotal. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's intimidating or, or that really we get wrong as, as human beings as we think about these things, right? We think about these challenges we have to face or the hard work we have to do. One of our problems is that we have this just deep sense of pride that like it ought not be that way for us. Like we shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be that hard, right? And it's like, what will change your life when it comes to wanting to, to strive for excellence in all these different areas and to follow God more faithfully and um, to do the hard work that it takes to be great, uh, and fulfill your potential in all these different areas in life and caveat when i say be great i don't mean like in a prideful you know what i mean like super successful flashy way but like greatness to me is holiness is virtue is is being success i think we can use those same terms and just mean them in the right (laughs) the right definition right but uh we talk about great saints a lot but one of the things that will change is a huge shift and was a huge shift for me is to realize that not only do I deserve to struggle, you know, and deserve to have to work hard, but I deserve for it to be a lot worse than it is. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like oh, when yeah. you have that humility finally to be like, man, I just suck without God. Like I'm just really not good. <laughs> I'm just really not good at this life. <laughs> and like without him, I'm just a mess. And it's like, every time I try to do it on my own, I just ruin everything. And it's like, you can finally stop to realize that and you think about the fall and you stop blaming Adam and Eve for the same thing that you would have done had you been in their circumstances. Right. And like, right. Realize that like our sin also like put Jesus on the cross. It's like uh, you deserve, you deserve hell and misery now and forever. You don't deserve the, the, anything that we get to experience, even just doing this with you right now. Like we don't, we don't deserve to have this kind of no, bro, have our friendship, bit. right? Like not one bit. exactly. It's like when you can start to recognize that and just be truly grateful for all that you have, and realize that God wants you to work hard and he wants you to be a laborer in the harvest and you can be honored to be a part of that. You know, it kind of reminds me, there's this awesome family here that the Harpoles love, um, the urban family, and they're just absolutely amazing. And they kind of, they played this like funny joke. There's eight kids and we were talking to uh, the two oldest girls and they were talking about how the next two are boys that are 10 and 12. They convinced the uh, seven and five-year-old girls that like working is like an honor, right? They're like getting to clean the house and do chores is like, you could, it's a privilege that you could lose, right? And so the girls are like super excited to clean with them. They're pumped oh to go do their God. chores. And it's all these things. But when you can start to like allow yourself to be formed in that way, you know, long-term, like God willing, they'd never lose that, right? To like 
to recognize that service is actually a privilege and as a blessing and sanctifies you and, and benefits you that St. Francis wasn't lying when he says it's better to give than to receive. Like that's not a joke, you know, yeah. like, I mean, that's, no they, they, they kind of deceive them into believing this, but like, if you think about it, like that's literally our lives. Like that's literally, it's actually true. Yeah. And the deeper that we dive into that, the more we're going to realize that we're going to realize how much of a sinner that we are. There's a, yeah. there's something that this, the Franciscan Friars of Renewal say, they say that, the majority of uh, lessons that they learn are from those that they encounter in the streets. And so that is, they, they learn all about themselves when they're in the streets and talking to these impoverished people, because then it's that realization of how impoverished they are. And so you're just full on diving, full submersion. You always think that you are the one that is the mighty, the, the giver. Um, But really in, in that introspective desire, there's going to be um, the openness that God is going to create of a impoverished soul. And to be able to recognize that is, is so important. Um, And that was, that was the big thing for me within discernment, which um, discerned for, for two and a half years, almost three years. Um, And I like, every single time I, I dove deeper into Christ's sacred heart, there was more of an emphasis on the amount of sin and guilt and a realization of healing that I needed. Um, the deeper that I, that I went and to be able to experience that is such a blessing. And Mm. it really comes down to trusting God. And that is, that is, is key for discernment because you have to be able to open yourself up and to open yourself up, you first have to receive this healing and this humility, this deep humility as pride is the first sin and the greatest of them and humility combating that. Our lady and the devil trying to impede most importantly, like you had just mentioned on pride. Um, and so to trust God and to open yourself up in that aspect is is so good and then with that trust it takes so much time and Mm -hmm. i thought it was i thought it was going to take a month i was like you know i'm leaving college i'm going to seminary you know bada binga bada boom i'm out of there and that was not it it took so much time for me to realize where my desires were and encountering christ and it's crazy because you know this whole two and a half year experience, I'm thinking that I'm full blown for the seminary. And it's like gung ho, like Lord Jesus, I am, I'm going to become your priest. Like I want to join the men of Melchizedek, like get me in there. Like let's roll, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, And then, and then through opening myself and through this trust, um, doors started opening and others started closing. And next thing you know, now I'm in a relationship and I'm just in the clouds. Like it's, it's crazy how the Lord has so much for you that you don't know about. And right. eventually he's going to bring that into realization. Um, once you open yourself up and once you're able to receive that letter from him. So. Absolutely. No, hundred percent. One thing I want to go back to first, and then I'm going to come back to what you just talked about. It's a beautiful story, man. And 
love obviously everything that's happened for you and uh i've been praying for you throughout the last six months of the sermon and everything so it's been <laughs> awesome getting to, getting to be a take a you know courtside seat to to the game that is your life you know yes sir has um, <laughs> been a blessing for sure but i think you know just going back to what we talked about with um this deserving of challenge and you you kind of you gave me this idea to think about like who recognized the the beauty and suffering but also like our uh, undeservingness to suffer with Christ while also like finding it an honor was like St. Peter, right? So like being crucified, they're like, we're going to crucify you like Jesus. And he's like, dude, you got to do it upside down. He's like, I don't deserve to die the same way as him. Like that's some gangster stuff. You know what I mean? Like to yeah, think about some alpha stuff right there, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's some first Pope legendary stuff right there. You know? <laughs> it's, it's nuts, man. And to think like, he's like, yeah, you know, it's an honor to suffer with Christ, but I don't deserve to suffer the same way he did. Like that's some, that's some baller stuff for sure. But I think, um, you know, the other thing that you kind of, you made me think about in there was just thinking about the, you know, the guilt that we get to experience um, in a positive way, which can happen. And I think about like, you know, what is it? We've heard so much, you know, of like past generations talking about Catholic guilt and how negative it was. And I think that guilt without formation is a really bad thing right? When you don't understand it. Yeah. Like when you have guilt, right. Without the hope of salvation and without the virtue of humility, it's miserable, right? Like if you don't understand that mercy redemption is possible and like truly believe that, and you don't have the humility to be like, yeah, I am guilty. (laughs) And like, I want to repent and I want to be different and I don't want to do that again. Right. For genuine things. Now, was there guilt for like silly things? Yes. But when people talk about like Catholic guilt for going to mass on Sunday, it's like, yeah, you, you should, like, you you quite literally are guilty of something. Yes, yeah, If you yeah. don't go to Mass on Sunday. Justice, maybe. Then you're guilty yeah. of a sin. So feeling guilty when you are guilty seems justified, right? Like, just like right. feeling wet when you are wet feels, seems justified, just kind of is, right? Like, it's it's not really good or bad. It's just, I mean, it can be good. Um, and the way you interpret it can be bad, I suppose. But it's like, that is, uh, you know, meant to be there. And I was recording with a... a Father Casey, a priest earlier today, a different podcast, and we were talking about like how we just kind of have a world with with no shame now. You know what I mean? And we have this kind of like wanting to reject anything that does make us uncomfortable or guilty or ashamed or you know what I mean? And it's like, no, like the reason why pornography was able to rise with the same rise of the nuns like N-O-N-E-S uh, non, you know, no affiliation in religious life and right yeah. in the religious in religion and uh, the decrease in church attendance is because we've created this like world of no shame, right? Like, and, and you see it every day. Like, I mean, to the point of like pedophilia in news articles, they're like, you shouldn't be ashamed of this. Like, let's make it normal. Let's make polygamy normal. Let's make adultery or multiple sexual partners normal. Let's, um, you know, normalize transgenderism. Let's normalize same-sex marriage. Let's normalize all of these things. And it's like, there's not supposed to be any shame. To, and, and people think that that's going to lead them to a life of happiness and joy because there's no more guilt. If there's nothing to be ashamed about, then you don't have to feel guilty. But it, it's obvious, you know, we ignore philosophy and like natural law and reason right. and realize right. that like a sin is just an act against reason. Our, our boy Austin, uh, the basic Catholic said that the other day on the podcast, that yeah. sin is an act against reason. And it's like, it leads you to be miserable. Like a life of sin is not good. It turns out, right? Like we also see this coupling of all of those things and a crazy increase 
in suicide, in depression, in anxiety, in all of these mental health challenges, right? People are miserable. Life is easier than it's ever been. And people are more miserable than they've ever been. And it's like, at what point, I mean, and most of us in the church world, like we're obviously actively trying to save people from that. But there's also times where you just kind of sit back and watch and just like, I wonder when, like how far will they need to go? You know, like how miserable do you have to make yourself? And that's sometimes that's, that's all you can do is because they're not accepting silence. And like, it's, it's constant, you know, listen to music before you go to bed, listen to music up until then, listen to music all throughout the day, busying your time, trying to call people. There's days. you do not want to, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want to have that quiet time because there's that reflection of self and then you start feeling guilty and then it's like, okay, yep. Um, this guilt does not feel good. And, uh, (laughs) and so I'm just going to push that away. A little instant gratification, like, like that. Yep. That's, it is. The devil is really, he's planting that seed. No doubt. Distraction, addiction, like all those things, man, short-term pleasures. And and it's really sad to see people just divulge themselves in that because you're like, dude, it doesn't have to be that way. You know? And I've been guilty of that and have really been reflecting in my own life of trying to force myself to have more silence because I can get really bad at that too. And I think that's one of the dangers of like the seeking excellence philosophy, bro, is that like I was just talking about earlier of of reading and podcasts and all this stuff, right? It's like, well, I like listening to Ben Shapiro in the background while I'm doing like mindless work, right? Or if I have a break and I'm doing something like, or I'm going on a walk, like I want to be listening to a podcast or an audio book or whatever. And it's like, you get to a point where you're like, man, I, I just need to take this drive with no music. You know, I did right. it the other night. Right. It was kind of crazy. Cause I was like, I wonder when the last time I literally heard my car's engine was, <laughs> you know what I, mean? <laughs> I was like, I'm such an idiot. I'm like, when was the last time I literally just like windows down, like could hear my car, like, and hear what it sounded like, right. you yeah. know, um, it's really Which wild. Yeah. yeah, you know, there has I mean? to be a realization of this guilt because there has to be a realization of sin. And if that's what, you know, Austin was going on about, but um, that realization of hell, like, yeah, you know, just the other day was the gospel passage of the the road is narrow, like, yeah, it is not going to be easy. And it's very easy to say, I'm good here. Like, let's just stay on this path, because once you. Once you start strolling and you're saying, I'm good, like we're good right here. That's when you start going downhill. Mm-hmm. You have to have that versatile alto mindset, you're like going up to the heights at all times or else if you're just on this, this grind of like, you know, my job's good and relationships good. And, you know, I just did the dishes. Well, let's go <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, no, like don't stop there don't stop there. Like, yeah, you know, sweep the floor, bro. Like, <laughs> like keep going up, you know? Exactly. And that's a lot of times where I think that like Mamba mentality, right? Like the athlete mentality can be so good because it's like, you know, just like, let's just see, like, keep, keep winning. You know what I mean? Like keep just taking the right next step, doing the right next action and great things add up and, and uh, multiply, you know what I mean? And, and it's exponential. Your growth is exponential and it's just worth all the sacrifices. And so, yeah, man, uh, you know, kind of bringing it back to your story. I think it it's beautiful to see, you know, after all your times of, you know, kind of wrestling with what is God calling you to do and kind of see where you're at now um, is a beautiful thing, obviously. Uh, but really cool just to see, you know, that like discernment, 
can take you on a wild ride, you know, and the Lord, I think, has different plans for each of us in our discernment periods of time of discerning different decisions and, and things like that. And I think that's one of the keys that we learn from the Catholic life and that silence can really teach you is like always asking the Lord, like, what am I supposed to learn in this time? Even when it's difficult, right? Even when I tore my Achilles, even when you're in Afghanistan, even when you're, you know, moving or you're on vacation or whatever, it's like, Lord, what am I supposed to learn during this right. season of my life, right? During this little chapter, even just this page of the book of my life, right? What's the lesson here? What, what am I supposed to gather from this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, taking the little things into account and pulling in humility with that. Um, before this, this big switch from like discerning priesthood into a dating relationship, um, there was a moment of this, there was a, there's a deep moment of humility in my life where I was down in Laguna beach with my little sister and our buddy Coley. Um, and I, we ended up getting caught um, around some rocks as high tide came out in a matter of seconds, which I had never seen before growing up in, in California, um, which was high tide rising within a minute or two up to, wow. you know, five feet. And so we couldn't really get off this rock. And so we ended up jumping off, which was the only way to go and surrounded by these rocks. And there's a riptide coming in. Um, my buddy Coley ended up saving my sister and from her, her from dying. And I was, I was very close to being smashed up against some rocks too. We looked on the news the next day. Um, and apparently six months prior, there was a man that had died right in that same spot that we were at from wow. high time from the same situation. So all three of us were just absolutely humbled from that. Um, now the next day, um, I'm out fishing, commercial fishing with my pops, and um, we're out next to uh, these beautiful islands, the Santa Cruz Islands, and um, we're going and dropping our lines, and um, we have about five minutes left. We had just caught some some great fish and are pumped for the dinner for the night, as you can imagine, bro. Um, and my line, both my lines break, so my, my dad's like, hey, like, take, take my line, you you keep going. You've been catching the majority of the fish. Like, this is for you. And I was like, ah, oh, damn. Like, don't stop it. You know? <laughs> so You're blessed. Like, and then I took the pole, you know, I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, and so I dropped my line and, and instantly get a snag with five minutes left. And I'm reeling the fish up and um, was about to dislodge the hook. And the the sailor's aide came over and was running, running to me and said, he was like, Hey, let go of the damn fish. And I like, let go of the fish. And he comes over with some gloves and pulls the hook out and starts cutting the bottom of, uh, it's, it's gill. Um, and I was kind of confused and he said, son, you just, you just grabbed one of the most venomous fish in the world. Um, you would have died if, if you would have grabbed that thing by, by the, uh, by the, the spine on the, on the bottom. And it's crazy for me to think now before where the fish was spinning on the line before I grabbed it. And it wasn't that big of a, that big of a fish. So it was called a scorpion fish. Um, mm -hmm. same family as the rockfish, um, and just very, very venomous. And so it's spinning on the line, just quite literally Russian roulette. 
and I grabbed no the neck and my fingers were literally centimeters away from the spine in which it would have injected into me. Um, and we're an hour and a half offshore. I'm already allergic to, uh, to bees and all that stuff. I have like EpiPens on me. Um, I would have been gone. So that's back to back days where I was close to death. <laughs> and I encountered this deep, like humility of my life is not in my hands. Right. And to think of all of the sins and think my first thought was, bro, I need to get to confession before the next day happens. <laughs> Lord, if you have something in store for me tomorrow, like, right. yeah. like <laughs> I need let, a me, day. let me get to confession. <laughs> like, I think that's what you're saying. And so I was kind of just like had this mentality of like preparing for death at all times. Right. And so now it's such a reality to me, to me that there's like this sense of urgency to, to get closer to our Lord um, instead of blocking things away. And that was given to me. And I thank God for those experiences because now I'm able to humbly recognize what's going on and, and his constant presence in my life. Mm. It's awesome, man. That's a crazy, crazy time. Definitely don't die today. (laughs) (laughs) No promises, bro. We need you tomorrow. So don't die today. That's amazing. Well, bro, this has been awesome. I think, uh, thank you for sharing so much of your life, man. It's been, it's been beautiful hearing your journey and just how the Lord's kind of, you know, led you through so many yeah, ups and downs, crazy, you know, twists and turns and things like that. I have my last question is just like, what's it like? The Friars want you now. The Culture Project wants you. What's it like to just have you know, like a like a D one project? All these organizations are coming and want you. You still got a whole year left. So, what's it like? What's it like being pursued by all these different organizations? Oh man, it's very humbling, bro. It's very humbling. I'm I'm looking around, be like, man, it's 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 a beautiful thing, and. I am just so honored um, to be pursued and to see the goodness in that. Um, But at the same time, recognizing there's this beautiful quote that says, um, recognize the wise for their wisdom and gain things from that, you know, gain that wisdom from them, but also recognize that they're also dust. And so having like that constant recognition of, of being pursued and seeing that as a gift, and seeing all of life as a gift. And so you're able to, to gift itself. Um, and then seeing the father in that same sort of reciprocal of, of we are gifts to him and his, you know, his beauty and his light shining upon us at all times. So that's baller. Well, you know, I think I shared with you this before. I can't remember if I have or not, but one of my low key dreams is I know you're big into videography and things like that. You oh, know, yeah. I want you, I want you to be on the SE team next year when you when you leave BC. Oh, so, so keep that in mind that there's a third one. <laughs> there's a third organization out there hunting you down uh, that's got its eyes on you for sure. So uh yeah, so don't forget that. Don't forget the homies over here at Seeking Excellence. But <laughs> I want to thank you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on the podcast with me today. Uh, it's definitely been a blessing to my life, and I'm sure to many listeners out there as well. Thank you, Nathan. It was an honor.